Welcome to episode four of the BitBlock Boom podcast. I'm your host, Gary Leland, and the producer of the BitBlock Boom Bitcoin conference. Just for reference, I also host the Crypto Cousins podcast, the Railroaded podcast, and the 4-Minute Crypto Show. You should be able to find those podcasts wherever you're listening to this podcast, iTunes, Google, or wherever. Now, in August, I'll host another BitBlock Boom Bitcoin conference in Dallas, Texas, with the help of some of my friends. And if you have an interest in Bitcoin, you really need to visit bitblockboom.com and look at the great speaker lineup and all the events that are going on around BitBlockBoom. Now, BitBlockBoom is a Bitcoin conference, and I really do mean a true Bitcoin conference. It's basically a Bitcoin maximalist conference. And if you have the code COUSINS when purchasing your conference tickets, you'll receive 30% off the price at this year's event. Now, in today's episode, I'm bringing you another session from the first BitBlockBoom conference that was held in 2018. This episode features a session by Felipe Hochia, and I know I pronounced your name wrong, Felipe, and I'm sorry, I never can remember how to pronounce it. Now, in case you're not familiar with Felipe, he operates Crypto Mundus TV, bringing crypto news and information to the Spanish-speaking audience, and he's a great guy. Now, today's session from Felipe is titled, Can Cryptocurrency Save the Next Generation in Latin America? This was a great session, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy listening. Well, thank you very much. Uh, so far, I think you're going to be experts in Bitcoin. We've, we've talked about ideas, we've talked about models, and we've talked about uh, a lot of things that are uh, things that we've probably heard before. And uh, for many of us, it's, uh, it's a great option, if you ask me. Uh, but that's not the case for many people around the world. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is how this technology is having an impact today. Not in the future, not in the uh, um, what is possible, but what, what is happening today. And uh, we know where all the money is going, right? Basically, every single fiat-based uh, monetary system is going to be uh, underwater. It's just a matter of time. And time is, is critical in this uh, environment, and uh, time matters because some are going way faster than others. Uh, in most uh, Western uh, modern societies, it's going to take a while. In some places, it's sinking, and it's sinking really fast, and we're going to see some numbers of what's uh, happening. Uh, over the last hundred years, uh, every single country in Latin America has been subject to either dictatorship, uh, military coups, uh, rampant corruption, uh, you name it, and in some cases, all of them together. So uh, many people in Latin America uh, trace back this, this issue, and I'm going to be very brief in, in a history lesson. We all owe that to Felipe, not this Felipe, but this Felipe, <laughs> King uh, Philip II from Spain. Uh, I guess uh, control freak was not an appropriate title for a king, so he's known as the prudent. And uh, King Philip II ruled over the greatest empire that the world ever, um, ever saw. The territories ran from Southeast Asia to the Americas. Uh, if you ever wonder where the name the Philippines come, that's from King Philip. 
What was his solution to this mess? It was bureaucracy. And with capital B, it was one of the, um, back then, the communications were mainly written. And King Philip II uh, elaborated this complex system of ledgers, so he would know ledgers, go figure. Uh, every single ship that left any of the colonies to Spain had a very detailed itemized manifesto they knew on every ship, every single item. That's one of the reasons why it's so easy to identify uh, Spanish ship, uh, shipwrecks, unlike most other uh, Dutch or Portuguese. It's because there's not only one manifesto, but there's multiple copies of, of the manifesto. So in the port of uh, the main port, they would make the manifesto, make a copy, then ship a faster uh, vessel to the destination, so the manifesto would arrive earlier, so by the time the big ship with all the cargo came in, they already knew what's in the ship, and they would uh, check manifesto. And then they had uh, this army of auditors that would go from port to port to port to verify those manifestos and matches, and so it, it was a very complex system, and you know what happens with very complex systems. You have bureaucracy, you have a rampant corruption, and suddenly it was uh, a heavy burden on all the colonies. Fast forward, 1800s, colonies start looking for independence, led by mainly Criollos, which were second-class uh, Spaniards born in the colonies. Uh, but go figure, they were educated by Spanish priests in Spanish universities. So they inherited all this uh, mindset of bureaucracy, heavy regulation, and uh, a legal system that is based on, on Roman code, unlike the, the, um, the U.S. Constitution, which is based on, on the Magna Carta, the Roman uh, philosophy of law is that anything that is not explicitly allowed by the law is forbidden. And that's, that's, take a mental note of that because it's really important of what's happening today. Uh, the second thing is that if you see every single constitution in, in the Americas, all of them grant rights to their citizens. So if you're a citizen of Mexico, your rights are given by the constitution. Unlike here, we the people have rights based on being people. You're born with rights and the constitution is limiting, or at least that's the intent, to limit uh, government. Uh, so it's a legal philosophy that is completely different and it has uh, arrived in, in very um, uh, authoritarian regimes and a, a long history of people being uh, told what to do. That's why it's so important, all the properties that we have been talking about, this technology, permissionless, censorship uh, resistant, and the centralized way of taking control of your uh, finances. And that's, that's uh, in my opinion, that's why it's so important for people in, in Latin America and, and most uh, developing countries. You, For the first time in history, you have the option of engaging in commerce, in, in preserving your wealth, which is a, a massive problem throughout Latin America. Uh, I mean, uh, devaluation is rampant, uh, corruption is rampant in, in most of our countries. So for the first time we have this option and people are embracing it and 
you're going to be surprised how fast they're embracing it. So we have a, a system for the first time that is permissionless, permissionless, censorship resistant, and decentralized. Now, I want to clarify the part of censorship resistance because that's something I, I often hear misconceptions about it. And it's not that there's no consequences in your trade. It's just the fact that you can engage in trade. They cannot stop the transaction. That doesn't mean that it's a free fall. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be consequences because government, as we've seen in many cases of uh, prosecution, they can engage in, in consequences. Your, your actions are going to have consequences. But the fact that no one can prevent you from doing what you choose to do, that's, that's very meaningful and people are embracing, uh, embracing it. And the, the other part is the, the um, decentralized. We all know by now, I mean, the, the, the previous speakers were very um, eloquent in explaining why this matters uh, so much. So what you see here is, uh, it's a purse made out of uh, Bolivar bills. So that's, that's what the Bolivar is worth. It's worth the paper that it's printed on. And you can find these, they're selling them in the border between uh, Venezuela and Colombia. Uh, they're doing all kinds of handcrafts made out of Bolivar bills. People are using Bolivar bills for fuel. I mean, they're cooking with Bolivar bills because it's more, it's, it's, uh, that's the worth of the money. You can see here in great detail, I mean, really skilled people doing that. But uh, that's what the Bolivar is, is worth now. They're using it for remittances, and they're using, the, using this technology in, in large scale. They're, for the first time, they're becoming, uh, they're making money of their remittances. Traditionally, uh, if you send money using Western Union or any other uh, method, you pay roughly 10%. So, for people working overseas, they cash their check, they pay 1% just to cash the check, and then they pay another 10% to send money home. Uh, and then they get ripped off in the exchange rate when they, uh, the family receives the money. So they lose a lot. Now, they're selling, they're receiving uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, don't tell Michael, but other cryptocurrencies, and uh, they're receiving them and they're selling them at a premium. So people in Venezuela are getting remittances in Bitcoin and they're selling that at a premium. You're not gonna believe it, but if you had bought Bitcoin with Bolivars in the, the height of the market, you would still have more money today at the current price. That's how bad it is. And it's not only, uh, it's not only Venezuela. Argentina is going that way really fast. Uh, Iran, the real, same thing. If you have bought the real, the, with reals, which is the money of Iran, probably is my accent that sounds kind of funny, but uh, uh, if you have bought with reals, you would still have more money today. And, and that's a reality for, for many people. And they're using it for remittances, they're using it for commerce, they're exchanging Bitcoin for uh, durable goods, they're exchanging Bitcoin for... Uh, in Venezuela, you have uh, heavily subsidized uh, um, e electricity. So people are mining Bitcoin, 
they're changing that Bitcoin for uh, Amazon gift cards. Then they are shipping Amazon goods to Colombia and they're smuggling across the border to uh, Venezuela. That's happening today. And uh, it's, it's one of the things that make me um, kind of cringe when people complain that they can buy their uh, mocha, chino, whatever with Bitcoin and they get frustrated because they can and in reality, it's, it's, it's a completely different experience for people around the world. Uh, and I'm not even going to go what having a coffee means in most of Latin American countries. Having a coffee means that you go to a coffee shop, you sit there for two hours, and you solve the work problems, hunger, poverty, politics, and everything in a span of two hours, which would be enough to confirm transactions even using Bitcoin, right? So uh, that's the experience, and they're using it today. They're, they're exchanging goods, they're uh, trading uh, property, and it's not only Venezuela. In Argentina, the, the Argentinian experience is, is particularly um, interesting because it's, it's a more recent, uh, in at the early 2000s, they had a, a bank holiday. Uh, so overnight, people lost 40% of their savings. All the deposits were gone uh, overnight. They couldn't take the money out, and uh, someone in my YouTube channel sent me a message saying, I do remember going with my mom, being a kid, with my mom to the protests, and since then I said, it's not going to happen to me, and it's not happening. And Argentina is developing a lot of solutions. 80% of the smart contracts um, on the Ethereum network are being audited by a company, Zeppelin, which is based in Argentina. Um, RSK is developing uh, sidechain and uh, alternative solutions on the Bitcoin network to run smart contracts. And all of this is happening in Argentina, in Venezuela. Panama is, is uh, moving rapidly towards uh, uh, a very flexible uh, financial environment for uh, uh, blockchain technology for Bitcoin, and uh, they're engaging in commerce. So, uh, as of May of 2012, you needed two million Bolivares to buy two pounds of meat. So, two million Bolivares. A month ago, uh, one of our subscribers sent me a check. After 20 years in uh, working for uh, the government, he was let go. He was given uh, 5.6 million Bolivars uh, uh, final payment, and you could buy four pounds of meat with them. Now, that was in May. Last night, 6.5 million Bolivars for two, uh, two pounds of meat. So that's where, that's where the money is going, and uh, we, we have this opportunity of um, seeing Places like Bolivia, like Iran, like Argentina, going this really fast, and we have the opportunity to uh, first and foremost uh, protect ourselves, protect our wealth, protect our finances, and uh, I really encourage you to look at the uh, enormous, I don't say blessing because it's not my thing, but uh, the opportunity, the chance that you have to uh, really take steps into protecting the world because the US dollar is going that, that direction. It's not going to be that fast probably, it's not going to be, but it's going there. 
uh, in the 1900s, the exchange rate between the peso, Mexican peso and the US dollar was one to one. And the reason it was one to one is because they were both silver. And they would exchange silver, and they didn't care whose face was on the silver. As long as it was silver, it was good. Today, one ounce of silver is, uh, what, 16, 1650? Uh, and in pesos, it's like, forget it. Outrageous uh, amount of money. And that's where we're heading, and they're heading way faster than us, and it's it's good time um, to take measures. Now, uh, when we talk about financial services and financial systems, there's three things that banks do, or they used to do. Now they engage mostly in speculative the derivatives and all that stuff, but mainly they were custody, transfers, and credit. Those were the things that uh, banks were used for. So in Custody, you don't need the custody, you have your private keys, you're good. Uh, transfers, you don't need permission, you don't need to rely on any third party to uh, send money anywhere in the world as you wish to do. The, 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 the missing part was credit, and there's a lot of projects working to address that problem uh, with using crypto as collateral for fiat uh, uh, loans. They're doing that in Venezuela, there's a project in which people get together and they are doing this. There's uh, projects that uh, allow you to do uh, uh, mutual loans, so a group of people get together, they pull their money together to make big purchases, and they're using cryptocurrency for that. that and it's happening today, it's not something in the future. Now, in terms of infrastructure, there's, there's always this concern, well, I mean, if you ever visit Latin America, it's like, ah, it's not that. It's not a, uh, a soft crime, so to speak. Well, they're installing uh, rural communities, they're installing uh, cell phone towers, and they're running their own networks, and they're doing relay uh, transmissions. They're installing satellite uh, nodes, which, uh, not to get too technical, but basically you receive the block information uh, via sat satellite, to validate incoming transactions and outgoing transactions are through this uh, relay MSS uh, MS, MSS uh, system, text messaging, and uh, and it's happening today. They're building this infrastructure. There's uh, a lot of uh, people working on this solution, and this is something that you can set up in pretty much anywhere in in, in Latin America, and they're doing it right now. So. It's the opportunity for freedom and self-reliance, something that um, in, in many countries we have to learn the, the, the hard way. Uh, I grew up in Mexico uh, from, in my lifetime, I mean, the, the, the economy in Mexico has gone from uh, rags to ragger, and, and it's been like always there's a crisis, always there's a new government, and always the previous government were a bunch of crooks that ransacked the country, but we're gonna rebuild it. And it's like every six years. And uh, it's out of necessity that people are relying because now the, the, the uh, safety net is, is really thin. And um, people see the opportunity and it's not confrontational. And it's, this is something really important. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a voluntary system, it's not enforced is not uh, mandated, it's not required, it's not uh, mandatory, and uh, 
people love it. It's like, it's, it's an alternative. Finally, I have a choice. And if I want to rely on banks, if I want to rely on the government, if I want to do that, I can do that. But I can choose not to. And, and thousands and thousands of people are choosing not to. And uh, I have the, the, the fortune to be in touch with these people. I have a, 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 I broadcast live three times a week on YouTube and different uh, outlets. I interact with people. I hear from people every single day what's happening in their countries, what, what are they doing, how their lives are being changed by, by this technology. And, uh, and I think it's, it's a great time to be alive and witness what we're seeing for, for millions of people, the opportunity to have an alternative, to have a, a say in their own uh, future, and do that without having to kill each other, as history has, has shown us to be up to this point um, the only way. And when you have uh, limited resources, and when and uh, we see this in the this huge fragment, fragmentation of society, and uh, up until now, the only way was, well, we have to kill each other, and whoever is alive, then it, it's, it's going to be the ruler, right? That's, that's how we settle our disputes. Well, now we have this opportunity. We have this exit ramp, and I think it's, it's, it's great to be part of this uh, change. And it's not going to save the next generation in Latin America. It's saving this generation, and uh, I... I really think that um, this is something we have to keep in perspective when we start arguing about scaling, about uh, the convenience. Uh, I think it's, it's, uh, it's a waste to think of Bitcoin as PayPal 3.0 or to think of uh, uh, all this technology as just a replacement of financial system. And um, I, I find kind of annoying when, when I see uh, specialized media, I mean, in the industry, uh, like in this celebratory tone when Bank A or B or C is doing blockchain, whatever, this celebratory tone, I think it's, it's a waste. We don't need faster horses, we, uh, we need cars. And we're building cars and people are using cars, and I think that's the way to go in the future. So that was the brief or rundown that I wanted to share with you today. And I don't know if we have time for questions. Yeah. Okay, the question is, if I, I, I see in the foreseeable future any government being radically transformed by the adoption, massive adoption of this technology, my answer is yes. And I think it's going to be a, either on the, uh, the Caribbean or probably Panama. Panama has uh, a long history of uh, being uh, very innovative. Uh, finally, after almost a century of uh, adult supervision, so to speak, uh, they're able to determine their own, their own future. And it's uh, people, in general, it's people uh, highly educated, very uh, multinational, very uh, accepting. So I think uh, Argentina has, the bigger the country, the more difficult it's going to be. Because you have wider diversity, you have uh, uh, different realities across uh, the country. I mean, you could go through Mexico and you visit from the 
late 1800s to the 21st century, and it's all within one country. So I think it's going to be one of the smaller ones. Probably Costa Rica. Costa Rica has been working on very uh, advanced, uh, very long-term planning, unlike most uh, other countries. They have um, they started a 25-year plan 10 years ago. As of today, 98% uh, of the population in uh, Costa Rica are bilingual. For example, uh, all uh, last year, all their energy was based on renewables. So there's there's a lot. But it has to be small countries. It has, has to start very small and then it will uh, hopefully ripple into other countries. But um, yeah, definitely I see that within the next decade. Well. I hope you enjoyed that. Now, if you want to find out more about Philippe, I've recorded an interview with him on the Crypto Cousins podcast. You may want to listen to that. And you can also follow him on Twitter at Felipe Hoshia, which I know I'm pronouncing wrong, but I'll spell it. It's at F-E-L-I-P-E-H-U-I-C-O-C-H-E-A. Now, if you've enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing and sharing the BitBlock Boom podcast with your friends. It'd be great if you could give the show a five-star review on iTunes or whatever app you're using to listen. Now, the next episode will feature Nick Baccia, who's going to give a really great session. I mean, it was really great. So thank you for listening to this episode of the BitBlock Boom podcast. Make sure and look at next year's lineup of speakers at bitblockboom.com. And I hope I see you at the next BitBlock Boom conference in Dallas, Texas. Until next week, bye.